Hello and welcome to the show today. I am your host and founder of Heaven to Earth, Susan Fleming, business alignment therapist equipping kingdom leadership to multiply life without burnout. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. Welcome back to the show today. I'm so excited to introduce you to today's guest, Amy Stout. Amy is a mom to three adult kids and a wife to one great man. She is a speaker, Bible teacher, coach, former pastor's wife of 25 years, and author of the book, At the Corner of Bitter and Sweet, Choosing Beauty in Life's Painful Places. Along with her husband, Corey, they founded His Beloved, a ministry that inspires hope, health, and renewal to ministry leaders and couples. Amy describes herself as an ordinary woman who was who has found her security in one beautiful, unchanging thing, that she is God's beloved. Amy, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Susan. It's just a delight. Yeah, I, I was so excited to, to hear about the ministry that you have. I think it's so, so needed that ministry leaders have a place to go and 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 have that you know, really get that pouring into, right? Because they give out so much. Like, where do they go? This is something I've been talking with the Lord about recently. Like, where do leaders go to just be people and just get what they need? So I love that y'all are y'all are doing that ministry. Yeah, thank you. It is it's so true. They they need a safe place where they can just be real and vulnerable and have it be okay to not be okay sometimes and to just be nurtured and to say, I need help. And I, and I mm-hmm. want to say, how do you admit that when you're a shepherd and a leader and it's supposed to be spiritually all put together. And so, um, yeah, the gift of encouragement and just inspiring hope and health and healing is just a passion of ours because we've been in ministry so long. We just have a, a real heart for that. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and we will get more into, um, you know, that, that life of ministry that you've been in, but I wanted to start today with the book. It's just, wow. (laughs) Just, wow. I, I rarely say that a book can, can change your life, but this book is just full of freedom. Mm. 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 A little emotional. (laughs) It's so full of freedom if people will, if the women who read it will just grab hold of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to give the name again for anybody listening. It's At the Corner of Bitter and Sweet, Choosing Beauty in Life's Painful Places. Talk to us a little bit about how this came to be. You know, it was really a book that was written over a couple of decades, actually. I had no idea that I was right starting to write a book that as I would journal or just, um, things would come to me. I was, didn't realize I had those writing gifts or talents, if you will, or some of my spiritual giftings when they didn't have an outlet of whether it's preaching or prophesying, that kind of thing, it would come out more in paper form. And so it just really, at some point, I just finally thought, I don't know if I can write a book, but I know I'm supposed to try. And so I didn't know anything about publishing a book, but yet I just finally had this nudge from the Lord that I couldn't ignore that it was time to start compiling years worth of 
lessons and painful places and how God just gave me um, really the choice whether I was going to walk down the road of bitterness and ugliness or choose beauty um, and the sweetness. And we're all always at those intersections, right? Because we all face painful places. We're all, we all face those intersections of life of like, which way am I going to head? And so it was just, it it's kind of my life story in many in many ways. And it was just time, time to write. I'm a firm believer that everybody has a book in them. It's just a matter of taking that time to do so. So yeah, it the, the lessons along the way of life and how God has been faithful to me. But I, I always say I'm not God's easy child. So we, <laughs> he, he has had to teach me things the hard way. And I've been around a few mountains too many times. Um, nevertheless, he's patient. So Yes, yes. And I find that I've I've run across more and more women, I would say within the last decade or so, that it is their journals that have become their books. So I, I love that you I didn't know that, you know, until you just shared that <laughs> that it yeah. was coming from from your journal. But man, I yeah, I journal as well. And I've, I, I feel like there's a lot of times the Lord will, will take me back to previous entries and be like, okay, talk about that today. And I'm like, share that with people. What? <laughs> so true. No, I think that's a really good reminder to people to be faithful with, you know, sometimes I tell women that want, are thinking about writing, but just, I'm like, just write, just start. Don't worry about how God's going to use it. If he ever will, whether it's for your granddaughter someday, someday, or when your three-year-old girl becomes 33 or, or how it's going to come together, whether it's a book or a podcast or a Sunday school, book, whatever it is, just get it down, get down what God's got for you before you lose it. Um, and then trust him with whatever and however that's going to manifest itself later, if at all. Um, but the important thing is just in that moment when it's fresh to say, yeah, I gotta, I gotta get this down because it's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I know. Cause I, I initially started journaling, um, to have it, to give to my son. That was the plan. <laughs> So it's been interesting to see how the Lord has is, is used it since then. But you said that about your son. I don't mean to just say daughters in front. I gave my when I gave my book to my son, when he I'm gonna cry, he's 25 now, but he read it like in two settings. He was so, so encouraging about it and just said something like, Mom, that's like the best book I've ever read, or something. Not that I don't know how many books he's read, but anyway, um, he just said, I like your writing style. But um, absolutely, God wants us to impact our sons too. And the words that we say aren't just for women and our daughters. Well, in the in the first chapter, you bring up this story of the ugly duckling, and you propose to us that we have it backwards. And you say, sometimes beautiful people slowly, unknowingly become ugly over time. Not because the mean things bullies say are true, but because we start believing that they are. Belief births behavior. Behave a certain way long enough and you will likely make a way of living out of it. Mm-hmm. This jumped out at me. This is something I I talk to my clients about all the time, <laughs> all the time. 
belief births behavior. And Mm -hmm. I usually talk about it, you know, more from the neuroscience standpoint and and what we see happening in the brain. But but you talk about it here and how we actually see it play out in life. So can you talk to us more about your experiences with that? Yeah. You know, I think I used to look at like old women and just think, oh, they're just so crabby and harsh looking and just <laughs> scary. Um, and then years and years go by and I get to midlife and I'm going, oh, life just got to them. Maybe they've had one too many wounds or betrayals, or they've got so many kids and grandkids that their concerns and their worries are now on their face, you know, and they walk around just having been beat up by life um, and not choosing the beauty, right? Instead, you just go down that road of ugliness. And by ugliness, I don't necessarily mean that we um, physically look ugly, but just our demeanor and our behavior and our countenance and the way we treat people. But I started seeing it in my own life, just blaming man instead of believing God. That's a chapter in my book, just circumstances that would come. And I just started feeling, getting really wounded by people's words. A lot of it has to do, and I don't get into it in my book, um, just through the sensitivity of it, but has to do with wounds by spiritual leaders, men in particular, who would just say things to me about who I was, um, whether that's, you know, I'm a sinful woman because I have um, certain spiritual giftings or I'm not super quiet. I'm a, I'm a leader and that's unbiblical you're a bad example to girls. You're just on. I just started taking these religious leaders' words and accusations and their opposition towards me personally, but also as if God were speaking them. I started allowing them to be God's voice in my life. And so I started shrinking and I started really opposing myself. I started um, thinking something was wrong with me and God made a mistake with me and, oh, just lots and lots of layers of things. But um, just a lot of things in ministry, I would say, that then really began to impact my self-worth, my self-confidence, the way I interacted with people. Um, I just got bottled up and bound up and began wearing the things that people said to me. And really started being identified by it instead of listening to God's voice above all the other chatter and being able to distinguish out lies and truth and no matter who it was coming from. So, um, yeah, I experienced that in my own life, that really ugliness was starting to just kind of rise up within me. And I was wearing a shame, wearing bitterness. And that actually changes our appearance. It just kind of does. So, yeah. Yeah, it absolutely does. I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) For sure. We wear it, you know, because the body keeps record of all that. That's Whether you're, whether you're consciously thinking about it or not, it stores in your body. And we start to see all that play out in our health, Mm. right? It's not just, um, yeah, I mean, I, Mm, let me navigate this carefully. <laughs> um, because I don't want it to sound like 
there's a judgment um, and not at all judging. I can say from personal experience that when I go back and look at different pictures of me throughout my life, I'm wearing it, right? You can see. <laughs> I know exactly. I can look at a picture without knowing the date on it and tell you exactly what was going on in my life. You know, because there's weight gain, there's weight loss, there's more wrinkles, there's, you know, you start seeing discolorations in the skin and like it just, it comes out in your body. And I look back at some of those pictures now and I look at me now, right? I look at the picture and then I look at me now and I'm like, wow, you know, the Lord doesn't just, He renews and restores on every level. Yeah. You, what you're saying is reminding me of the Bible verse. I have it taped to my bathroom mirror. I don't remember the reference, but those who look to him are radiant. Mm. Uh, the beauty of the Lord is upon us. And I, yeah. I do, I, I can say the same thing, just a harshness when we self-protect and insulate and get really paranoid about the world and who's going to hurt us and all of the, or the, the unhealed, the ashes, you know, the Bible talks about that, that Jesus, God said, I appointed you, Jesus, my son to come and exchange beauty for ashes and the crown of beauty instead of the, the ash heap. And so literally those ashes that when we sit in self-pity or in woundings that we refuse to let heal, because we keep picking the scab and God says, I have the oil of beauty for uh, the oil of gladness, the garment of praise, the crown of beauty in exchange for your sorrow and your mourning and your, you know, garment of despair. Um, all of that, I, I totally believe as well, just impacts our demeanor, our countenance, the way we carry ourselves, the way we speak to people, the way we talk about ourselves. And if, if I, it takes a, a woman who knows she's God's beloved to love other people. I can't love anybody else if I'm sitting in self-loathing, unaccepting of the fact that God chooses me, picks me, decides me, likes me, and I'm determined already. <laughs> um, otherwise, we're going around just like looking for affirmation. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. So I totally agree with everything you're saying. And we can see it and recognize it on ourselves for sure in the past. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. So good. There's so much. Mm. So much wisdom <laughs> there in, in what you just shared. And I think there's a key there for people to pick up, you know, that even when you think you're hiding it well, mm -hmm. people can see what's going on. And if you'll allow the Lord to heal you, if you'll work with him in that and mm -hmm. it's, it's all reversible. <laughs> It's all reversible. Mm. It does give us compassion, though, doesn't it? For like yeah. crap, well, maybe at a retail store. I try to just tell myself, no, I don't. I wonder what she's going through. I wonder what life has been like for her because you know she's crabby or harsh or short-tempered or just not kind. It mm -hmm. tells you wounds that haven't been healed. It tells you life is beat her up or yeah. not processing. Um, in a healthy way. So, yeah. Yeah. For that woman who is maybe in the bitterness right now, what would be 
maybe a good first step for her to start choosing differently? Mm-hmm. It's a good question. I guess the thing that first comes to my mind is the if the realization that if people sometimes people are not good to us, right? But that God is good to us. And I've had to learn how to separate even God's people, right? From God himself. Like we're going to be wounded where people are going to do us wrong. It's life. We hurt people too. But if I can, if we can, if she can become somebody who gets up in the morning and is determined by who she is in Jesus, God's already loves. I, I can just get up and say, God, thank you for loving me and liking me. You've decided me. I'm determined by you, not by how life is going. I can, even when life is not going well, I can be doing well, like taking back some of that power that God's given us instead of just being tossed to and fro by the circumstances and people in life. So to nestle back into who she is in Christ, for me, that really was the only way. If I waited to get all the answers to the how comes and the why nots and what they do that for and how come this and God, you know, discipline them and fix this and I mean, I, I would still be bitter, crabby, and really down the road to ugliness. We can't wait for the answers or God to fix things. His job is not to fix things. His job is, he wants us to fix our eyes on him. And so when I started shifting away from needing things to get better in order for me to be doing better, that's when I got set free. Because um, I waited a really long time for God to just fix it all and for things to be good before I was doing good. So if you're in that place of bitterness, I would just say, boy, run into the embrace of Jesus and let him tell you once again, that you're his beloved, that you're okay. He likes you. He loves you. And you know what? You don't need all the answers or, um, we need, we need him to really, it's, who was it that said it? Was it Tozer? When he said, um, I know now why God uttered no answer. It is because he himself is the answer. Mm-hmm. And that's so powerful to me because there's been a lot of times in my life when God has been silent or I've been waiting for him to rescue me. Um, and I don't feel the rescue. I've been wanting him to change circumstances or people or make me feel better. Um, and when I realize and look back and go, God, you were my ever present help in the trouble. That was the help that you were present with me and you are the answer. You are enough and you've given me everything I need. So I, th- I think it comes back to just functioning as his beloved girl mm-hmm. and get back to those basics is what helps us then have victory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would a thousand percent agree with that, that our identity is foundational. Yeah, it really is. We have to know, not just know, but Accept, believe Mm. who he says we are. And I think for a lot of women in particular, it's hard. I mean, not to exclude men, but just in in my interactions, mostly with women, it, it seems that the distortion comes from us not knowing who God is. Like our perception of him is wrong. And so when you think about, well, I'm made in his image, if you don't see him rightly, 
if you don't know his character and his nature and who he really is, then you're not going to see yourself rightly. And it's so easy to let other people's opinions come in and tell you who you are. Yeah, that's good, Susan. That's so true. It really is. And just knowing Christ, I mean, Paul says that, like, I consider everything else a loss compared to knowing Christ. We do. We need to know him. Why I say in my little bio, like, okay, there's just one unchanging thing in my life. And that is, I can find my identity in being God's beloved. So you know, a lot of other people will change their minds about us. A lot of people will speak for God or make us, whether it's a parent, a coach, a boss that chewed you out or a failed business, whatever it might be. And we start taking on those things. And like you said, we've got to know, know Christ and who we are in him and that God, the father sees us through Jesus and his finished work on the cross. And we're, we can be secure and identified there, um, gives us that solid ground to function in life and be healthy and whole and move forward. So yeah, absolutely. We do have misconceptions of who God is, whether we think he's angry. You know, I know a lot of women who will say to me, I just feel like God's disappointed in me. And it just makes me cry because I too have felt that many times I've taken the disappointment that I feel from spiritual male leaders in the church. And I project that on God as if God's saying, I'm disappointed in you too. Or, you know, somebody maybe from a experience in high school or whatever it might be, where you just feel like God's mad. He's disappointed. Like it's not safe to enter. I've been in seasons in my life where I literally, if I were to picture I'm just going to be in a room alone with God. It's just me and him. And my head goes down, not out of worship, but out of like shame. And like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm scared. Like, wow. Am I, do I feel scared to be alone with Abba, Father God, because I'm afraid he's disappointed or mad or disgusted or fed up with me? Or do I just see him open arms, you know, pat his chest, like come here for a hug, you know? I have to always be asking myself because I do find when I start heading into a pit of depression or discouragement, despair, it often does. When I answer that question, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I kind of think he's going, he's not really um, welcoming me into his embrace. He's more ready to hit me over the head with his um, hammer. So that's good to continually ask ourselves, how am I viewing God these days? What's my perception of him? And where'd I get that from? Um, yeah. 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 And I think like you said, our our perception of him often comes from people in our life that mm-hmm. we've we've transferred that idea of who he is from someone that we know. And I know you've mentioned a couple of times um, spiritual wounding, mm-hmm. particularly by, you know, leadership in the church. Mm. And um, unfortunately, I find it to be a very common experience, particularly for women. And so I would love to get your perspective, you know, after being pastor's wife for 25 years and um, having your own ministry, what has that experience been for you? Yeah, it has... um... I shared with you before we started recording, but I'll just, you know, I, this has been my bloody battlefield for almost 30 years, but I've never actually spoken publicly about it. Um, 
just the timing isn't, hasn't been right, but I do am, am feeling more of a nudge that it's time. I don't know if I'll start a YouTube channel or just hop on Facebook live sometime. I'm not sure, but I am sensing like you are that more and more women are coming out of the closet, so to speak, to, to just have this discussion. And, um, so it's, it's been a long journey for me. I, um, write some pastors, been a pastor's wife for 24 years. The last two years, my husband has been out of full-time ministry at, at, as far as the pastor, it goes. I grew up in a very traditional home. So did my husband, Southwestern Minnesota, where like drinking's wrong, playing cards is wrong. Well, my husband's family anyway, can't go to movies, no dancing, all this very traditional roles. As far as like, I was taught in my home by my father, who's pretty much you know, he'll declare he's a male chauvinist, but he has a good heart in that his, he elevated highly the value of women in the home to the extent that women should not have careers. Daycare centers were the most evil place on the planet. Any woman that went to college desired to be some career woman and that wasn't godly. And all of that, I grew up in a home like that. My church, I don't remember any women leading. Um, it was always men Women were in the kitchen, you know, cutting up the bread in nice squares for communion and pouring the juice just right in those little cups from the, you know, this wasn't easy like it is now with the ripoff tabs. But anyway, doing the potlucks and the children's church and all all of my teachers in Sunday school were women. So that was my view of women. I, I was, I don't remember being taught from the pulpit that women can't teach, preach, prophesy, use oral spiritual giftings just play the piano, go in the nursery and fix the food. I, I, but that was the culture that I grew up in. So I'm in high school. I feel a call from the Lord into full-time ministry, but I don't know what in the world that's supposed to look like. Cause what do women do in the full-time ministry? So it, to me, I translated it. I guess I'm supposed to be a pastor's wife, which is a little bit of an issue because you need a pastor. You need a husband to be a pastor's wife. But I, I didn't know what else. I didn't feel called to the mission field at all. But I didn't know what to do with myself. I, I was like, I don't, I don't know. So I go to Bible college. It's not exactly blessed. I wouldn't say necessarily in my home to go off and do that. I, I should, you know, just aspire to be a mom and a wife. But nevertheless, I went off. But there's nothing really to major in. So I, I proclaimed a world missions major. I don't know why I didn't want to be a missionary, but it was either that or CE, Christian education, basically children's ministry. And I didn't feel called into that. So I, I just really didn't know what to do with myself. So it fast forward, my husband and I get married. He's called into ministry. We feel called together to do this. We're sitting in our initial interview with the denominational leader, first accreditation, licensing, and then ordination. For some reason, the wife has to be part of this um, interview, though she has no role, mind you. She's not given any place in ministry, but she must be interviewed and critiqued. So he asked us a question. He said, why are you committed to, why do you feel loyalty towards, and then he, and then our denomination that we were part of. I just, out of the sincerity of my heart, just said, oh, I, I don't feel a commitment to the denomination. I, I feel a calling from the Lord to follow God's call in our life to whatever organization or place that it, I just answered sincerely. I, I wasn't trying to be sh- smart or snippy or anything like that. And then he proceeded to ask us about our ministry uh, situations together. And we had just been on a trip sponsor or as youth leaders to, uh, with high schoolers down to Florida. And 
he kind of got out of me that there was an incident with a high school boy where he was breaking the rules and I just told him basically to knock it off and, you know, quit doing that. Well, anyway, so I just think he didn't like me that I had a mind, um, that I would lead, I guess. Um, he said I should have deferred to my husband and on that bus and let him deal with the boy. Uh, anyway, he said these words to me. He looked right at me. He put us on probation. He wouldn't give us um, accreditation. He said, you are going to ruin your husband's ministry. Wow. 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 What a declaration for someone to say, not just someone, but someone in authority in the church to say, you are going to ruin your husband's ministry. Wow. Well, I'm going to leave you on the cliffhanger right there for now, and you'll have to tune in next week for part two to see how this gets resolved and find out more about what Amy is doing now. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you want to learn more about me or any of my guests, all of the links are in the description below the video. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and share it on all your social pages. Until next time, remember that you have the power to multiply life without burnout.